This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Hi, I'm Norman Lau, co-host of Mission Log. While Daniel and Paul are doing a bang-up job covering the wide world of pop culture, we're talking Star Trek, one episode at a time over at Mission Log, looking for morals, meanings, and messages. In fact, there are a whole lot of other shows at podcasts.roddenberry.com for you to choose from. Science, feminism, even daily news. Boldly go and find us when you're done here, of course. Again, that address is podcasts.roddenberry.com, and we will be delighted to have you trek us out. Welcome to episode 47 of the Half Missions Podcast. Once again, I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Paul Kanawa. Paul, how you doing? Good, Dan. It's good to be back here, everyone. Uh, I feel like after our top 10 last week, I feel like it, you know, we're out of sync. We had the, the Pulp Fiction one. I feel like I'm ready to get back into our normal routine. That's how I feel. I bet you've been watching a ton of stuff, Paul Kanawa. I've got a few things up my sleeve. Well, it's about 4 million degrees here in uh, Wellington slash Kapiti where we record the podcast, but we're going to do our best to uh, charge on with the recording. If we somehow just pass out during this episode and it just turns to white noise, just know we'll be back next week. But as tradition dictates, Paul Kanawa, what have you been watching? So, uh, so yeah, I kicked off the new year with a... A, a good old gritty British drama. And this is a show called The Nest, uh, which is a it's a six-part series about a, a, a teenage girl uh, in Glasgow up in Scotland. And she agrees to be the surrogate for a, a very wealthy couple amid some quite extraordinary circumstances. And um, have you, first of all, have you seen this, Dan? Have you, or have you heard of this? No, no, I've never heard of it. No, so what, what can I say? I guess, um, well, firstly, great acting and, and great direction. There's some some real uh, some real winners in the cast. First of all, our friend Martin Comston uh, is in, uh, D.S. Arnett from Line of Duty. But he's actually Scottish in real life, which many people don't realize. And so we've got his actual Scottish accent, which is just amazing. In fact, it may actually be hard to go back to him as D.S. Arnett. Um, he's great in this and very, very watchable. Um, the 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 teenage girl, the very troubled young girl, is played by Mirren Mack, and you know she's got this horrific past, but she's she's superb in this, and I feel like this whole series could have fallen apart if she wasn't any good. So you've got this this wealthy couple, and for various reasons, different attempts at um, having a child have failed, and they, they've tried other surrogates as well, and. This 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 young girl, without too many spoilers, offers uh, to to carry the baby, but she's too young to do it under under law, and so yeah, the the, the story goes from there. And it's it's quite gritty in that respect. Um, in fact, you may know this 
Miramax. I just noticed looking at um, IMDb, she's actually from Sex Education. She plays the role of a character called Florence. So I don't know, you, you must have seen her. But um, the th- oh, fantastic! It's such a, a quirky character on Sex Education. So um, okay, that's yeah, that's great. Yeah, she's she's really good in this. This the story in itself, while it's a really interesting and compelling plot. It actually has quite a few moments where you just sit back and say, come on, really? And it's not like it's to do with with the surrogacy or, or what the, the, the state care story entails. Uh, it's nothing to do with that. It's actually what the, the, the people are around that are happening, the scenarios and the, the character reactions to things that just feels a little bit contrived, which let it stand. But it's a very gritty one. Um, it's, you know, a, a good proper serious british drama the, the way that the social workers are depicted seems to be very harsh and there's some controversy around access that information social workers have which i found particularly interesting but it's a real quick watch so it's like less than six hours all up which is good uh, i didn't feel like it needed to go any longer so yeah if that sort of subject matter appeals which may sound a bit weird but you know all the cast appeals i'd say you definitely get something out of watching this and we're about to do watch this one paul uh, that is a really good question. I watched this on the New Zealand uh, streaming platform, the TVNZ streaming platform here in New Zealand, so I'm not sure where anyone overseas might get access to this, but it is uh, a BBC drama, so um, I guess if you're in the UK, it would be on some sort of BBC streaming service. Otherwise, I couldn't tell you. Half measures approach as always. Interesting. Look, it sounds it sounds like an interesting plot. It looks like, as you say, some great actors in there. So, and look, I, I always enjoy a good bit of uh, BBC, particularly when it's uh, only five or six episodes. That's awesome. Yeah, very much different to that. The next thing I've been watching, in fact, we finished watching, uh, is a show called Modern Love, and this was a really awesome find uh, on Amazon Prime. And straight away, I could say I 100% recommend this. It's, it's actually based on uh, the weekly column called Modern Love, which is published in the New York Times. And each episode adapts uh, a different um, love story taking place in New York City. And that's literally how it plays out. So you get this, uh, you know, many different types, I guess you'd say, of, of love stories as seen through the eyes of the, the person who wrote the letter into the New York Times. And it gets brought to life on screen. And I have to say, it's just so nice. It really is. It's really well-written stories. Uh, I challenge even the most cynical, hardened type to sort of say that they that they wouldn't watch this and feel something. It really, it sort of, um, it pulls you into the all of the complexities, you know, the joy, the struggles, the funds, the challenges, all the things that make relationships such a a wonderful thing and it's a really good cast of course you know each each episode uh is is a different story different love letter different letters to the new york times not love letter that's not quite quite correct but um it's a yeah andy garcia uh tina fey dev patel and hathaway um oh my 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 favorite episode starred um andrew scott uh who we were seen as the the priest in Fleabag and as Moriarty uh, in in Sherlock. Um, it's just great. And to give you, I actually wrote down, well, not wrote, typed, copied uh, uh, the the two two letters out of the eight in total. This was a snippet from the two letters that went to the New York Times. One of them was, uh, there was no guarantee that doing an open adoption would get us a baby any faster. In fact, our agency warned us that as a gay May couple, we might be in for a long wait. And another interesting one was, um, there's never a good time to fall off your couch 
onto a martini glass and begin losing a dangerous amount of blood. But having this happen in the middle of a promising date is an especially bad time. And so um, that gives you like an idea of the breadth of these letters. And we washed it as a palate cleanser, actually, because we still haven't found a, a, a palate cleanser since we finished Seinfeld. And so with only eight episodes, we got through that pretty quickly but um there's just yeah there's just a lot of appeal i feel like there's an enormous potential for this to run for like several seasons if they want to because each story is always going to be so different and you can bring in new actors for each one so you always get to look forward to something new each week um so yeah i think that sort of that bite-size romance with a with just that hint of comedy is is a real hit i loved it I think you've you've sold me on the cast. Like just looking across this, there's also uh, Julia Garner who was in Ozark. There's uh, John Slattery from Mad Men. Like it's just it, it looks started. Yeah, yeah. Like it looks it looks really interesting. Um, and look, I you know you can never have too many palate cleansers in the bank. So if it's doing the trick, then why not? Yeah, honestly, some real nice feels out of that one. And my last thing I'll talk to you about, and I want to ask you, first of all, how much you want me to go into it, because I know this might be on your radar. This is the show Your Honour, uh, which is on Neon here in New Zealand, starring Brian Cranston. Is that a show you've... Yeah, if you could keep it light, that would be great. I'm just kind of waiting for all the episodes to drop. Okay, so in the end... What he did. <laughs> so this, so this one is about a judge um, who confronts his convictions when his son is involved in a hit and run that embroils an organised crime family. Facing impossible choices, he discovers how far a father will go to save his son's life. So you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna knock someone out <laughs> off their off their motorbike, um, you know, don't do the the son of like Don Corleone. You know, it's, it's probably not. <laughs> not the wisest thing um we've watched all the episodes that have come out so far so there's six episodes and there's um 10 in total um but it's dropping weekly it's really good it's really tense it's really stressful it's so what i think you're like about this dan as well it's so great to see brian cranston in something else because honestly i never watched malcolm in the middle and whilst I, you know i know he's he's done a few films here and there but basically, he's just been Walter White to me. So this was awesome just to see him taking on a on a, on a whole new character. And yeah, oddly enough, without going into spoilers, there are elements of this this guy that remind me of Walter because, of course, we've got a guy who's wanting to do good because you know he wants to help his son. But of course, his son has just killed someone, so he's he's going down a dangerous path in order to do what he thinks is right. Um, but yeah, it's a very different character for, for Cranston. You know, he's this high court judge and he really owns that role. Um, quality writing, they play out the scenes um, like where you, where you can see this train wreck about to occur and you can see the train coming from a long way and you, you know you want to look away, but you can't. And then something happens and what you were 99% sure was about to happen doesn't actually happen. So it's it's really it's really great writing I find in that respect it's it really it's not plot twist but it catches you off guard when you least expect it so yeah very much recommend this one as I say it's um, only six episodes in so maybe once I've finished it if you finished it we can dive in a bit more but yeah I I just a hundred percent recommend this to anyone as well because the writing is that great and if you put Brian Cranston at the top well you just can't go wrong. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think I've been looking to see Brian Cranston again for a long time, and you know he, he always will be our Walter White. And I did check this out briefly, and I, I watched the trailer for it. Um, and I think at that time there might have been about three episodes out, and I thought, oh, no, I might just wait till there's a there's a few more out. Um, but yeah, this is. I'm glad that you're giving it a, a glowing review, and I can't wait to get into this one. That's it for for me, Dan. How about you? What have you been watching? What have I been watching? Well, I've caught up on a few things. So um, I've actually caught up on one of your top 10 TV shows of 2020, The Queen's Gambit. So I finally managed to watch um, all of that. And I'll tell you, Paul, I wish I watched it in 2020 because it definitely would have made my top 10 list. I, even though I was quite late to the party on this, absolutely loved it and I've heard a few people with sort of mixed reviews on it who sort of hasn't hasn't been for them and obviously like we talked about um during the top 10 of 2020 a lot of people also loved it a lot of people have binged it I definitely fell in the camp of I absolutely loved it I love mm. the story I love the the twists I love the way that they brought uh chess to the table it's such a great watch I'm kind of sad that it's a, a limited series mm. but at the same time it's such a nicely packaged story. I'm really happy with what we got. Yeah, no, I feel the same way because it would be hard to go beyond how that series finishes to, to with with any real feeling or meaning. I think it, it tells the story it needs to tell. Um, it is it's really compelling, isn't it? Just it's just to, I mean that Anya Taylor Joy is the lead. She's just she brings something like I, I think I said at the time. You know, it really hinged on her, and she really delivered. Oh, I completely agree. And I think what really, I guess, really just sort of captured me from the start is I think just her her story and the, the change of uh, actress throughout the sort of the episodes as, as she gets older. And it was just such an interesting story. And I like, I just think that the concept of, you know, a Netflix TV show about chess doesn't really sound that appealing, but it's so good. In fact, I, I was reading somewhere the other day that apparently the um, the creators of that show have been trying to get it made for about thirty years because no network would actually would actually pick it up and no one was really interested in it. Um, and it's probably you know to be honest, it's probably good that it got made in, in two thousand and twenty because I think the the use of technology and effects, particularly the the visualization of chess, really I think brought it to life in a in a cool way. So. I'm all up to date on the Queen's Gambit, and I, I give it all the guns, Paul. I I absolutely loved it. Checkmate, and I think I think you're absolutely right. You made a good point um, mentioning about the the different ages of the actor. It wasn't just when she was you know as as an adult. There you know there was also those those actresses. In fact, just to quickly jump in, actually, one of our listeners, Thomas Fitiora uh, from Hamilton here in New Zealand, wrote in and, and said that he felt that Isla Johnson, who played that young actress was really really good and definitely one for the future so that was uh yeah an interesting interesting shape from both of you yeah look I, I couldn't agree more the other show that i've been watching is actually one on amazon prime called the wilds and so the wilds i don't know if you've you've seen this one on your feed but it's basically about a, a group of teenage girls who uh survive after a, a plane crash leaves them stranded um and this twist is kind of I think it might even be in the trailer, but it, it's in the first episode, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out there. Basically the whole thing's a um 
a, a ruse and it's all basically set up as a, you know, it's it's all run by a, a counsellor and an organisation who's basically all of these girls come from sort of slightly different, you know, they've all got different issues, they've all sort of got different troubling things going on and basically it's it's all staged and so they think they've been in a plane crash and they have to survive on this island and it's kind of got a bit of a, a lost concept to it. Um, and it's it's an interesting one because I'll tell you, Paul, it's pretty painful at times and painful in the sense that so it reminds me a little bit of loss, which is which is really good. But these these girls on this um, on this island, they are I, I both really enjoy them and I really like them. And I'm also get I get so annoyed by them because basically what happens is they're they're constantly kind of arguing and fighting and every time they argue and fight one of them storms off and as soon as one of them storms off that's when trouble happens and it just happens time and time and time again um but it's it's actually a a weird one where when I finish watching it I can't wait for season two and so I think it's sort of you know really growing on me and even though I've sort of found these characters frustrating in different ways and each episode kind of focuses differently on a different character and their backstory and what happened before they came on the island versus what's happening on the island right now um and it's 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 interesting it's like i i don't think it would have made uh made my top 10 but i Mm. i did really enjoy it and i think as a as a lost fan um it's definitely got some some great island components to it have you heard of this one paul do you know what I haven't? And it's straight onto my radar and I'm actually going to now suggest it as the next thing we're going to jump into because I, you sold me just literally on that plot. I just love the idea of like that, um, what was the one with Jim Carrey? I can't think of the name of it. Oh, the Truman Show? Yeah. I love that idea of that thing. And as a kid, as a young kid, for, for years, I was convinced that the whole world was just this thing that I was being watched. I love the idea that they've they've had this thing happen and, you know, it's it hasn't been an accident. That plot alone is really, really, really appeals to me. Um, I don't know any of the cast. I was just looking through to see if I recognize any of them. Uh, the writer, Sarah Stryker, um, she wrote a lot of The Daredevil um which was really really good we both enjoyed that so that's that's a good sign for me as well i love the way you talked about the pain and then you went straight to lost because i know there's a lot of people out there who find lost quite painful i know you and i didn't but um uh i'm i'm definitely going to give it a go so uh so how many episodes do i need to got 11 episodes okay all right uh well, it's, it's actually 10 episodes um i'm not quite sure is it 10 yeah 10 episodes uh, there might be a uh, a trailer episode or something. I think one of the interesting things about this show is that they basically do the reveal really early on in that first episode that this whole thing's been set up. And so it's kind of cool because, you know, like with Lost, how you've got six seasons of questions and some of those still unanswered. Mm-hmm. This is actually starting to answer things early on. And there's enough, I guess what we found during watching this is there's enough twists and turns that keep you coming back for more and, keep you wanting to put on another episode but the characters definitely took a little while to grow on me um but once you get past that it's it's a good one i think it's a good one to check out and if you've got any unanswered questions from lost please write into dan at half measures pod on instagram facebook or twitter and he will provide you with the answers you are seeking 
Correct. I will do that. I will do that. So a couple more things on my list. So I've also uh, caught up on another show from 2020, one that I think actually in our Discord channel, Sador might have mentioned once, uh, which is Ratchet, which is basically the uh, the the prequel as such to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, basically starring Sarah Paulson. And it's kind of a what would I call it, sort of a, a crime drama mystery, sort of tells the origins um, story of Nurse Mildred Ratchet and her working in a, a what would you call it, like a a, a psychiatric hospital. I, I do be really careful with my words there, Paul, you yep. know, what was yep. going to slip out, you know, yep. you don't want to edit that. <laughs> um, and look, that was, a, a again, another enjoyable watch. It's been on my list for a long time. It's... Um, it's really well produced. I've always been a bit of a fan of American Horror Story. It's definitely got a little bit of that vibe to it. It's not uh, it's not scary or it doesn't have the horror component um, that I think some of American Horror Story has. So if you're interested in, in that, then it's, it's, it's definitely a good watch. I think the, the fashion and style is, is really awesome. I really love the, the way that they've um, done all the set design and the uh, the character costumes. It's It's a... It's a top tier show. Um, and it was a, a lot of fun to watch. Awesome. I th- this, honestly, you're on a good strike right here. That's another one I put straight on my list because I, I really enjoyed her character in that, you know, in the original movie. And um, uh, Louise Fletcher, who played that character, was fantastic. So Sarah Paulson taking over the role as a younger, I, I would be quite interested in, in that. Um, it's got a, a, yeah a lot of appeal. Um, so. Well, I think you should too because there's a there's a season two coming soon as well, so it's already been renewed, which is a, a good time. And so, yeah, I think it's a it actually has uh, inspired me, and I haven't seen it for a long time, is to maybe rewatch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because mm. um, it sort of just got me uh, interested in um, and sort of that, that story again. And where am I watching uh, that one then? You are watching that on Netflix, a Netflix original. All right. So also over um, was it the the first of January, um, Cobra Kai season three dropped, which is pretty exciting news. And it was a real treat because Cobra Kai actually was meant to come out on the eighth of January, and they brought it forward to New Year's Day. That's just the type of type of people at, at Cobra Kai just doing top tier things for a top tier TV show. And you know what, Paul? I freaking love Cobra Kai. I just love the show so much. I love everything about it. Season three is, I thought was really, was really good. It's got some fantastic reviews um, on IMDb. Um, I don't think it would be my favorite season. I think season one and two are probably a little bit more up there for me, but I think the show just continues to delight and it has got me so hyped for season four. And you know what? If you're looking for a cleanser, a palate cleanser, why don't you put this on your list? It's, it's so much fun. I feel like you guys would love it. You've tried to sell me Cobra Kai so many times. I feel like I feel like there's only a amount of time before I eventually do. Like you're right, it's it's 30 minute episodes with a bit of comedy. Why wouldn't I have that as a palate cleanser? I I feel like I feel like you've had to wait a while for this as well because I'm still a little shocked because of course last week when we did our top tens and uh, I was expecting you to have Cobra Kai on your list and I couldn't work out how you could possibly only have two spaces left on your list and you hadn't mentioned Cobra Kai and of course it was 2019 so so it's no surprise that you've got that season out of the way so quickly and I'm sure you binged it pretty quickly um look again the ratings are so high on this everyone seems to be on board that I haven't heard anyone saying bad about it um 
my question for you though, Dan, and I may have asked you this before is do I need to go back and watch Karate Kid to be able to fully appreciate this TV show? No, look, you definitely don't. And I think what they do really well in this TV show is they actually do quite a few flashbacks and they use some of the unused footage from uh, Karate Kid 1, 2 and 3 to really sort of really remind you um, of, of what happened back then. So you, so I think the way they've done that is good for a new watcher as much as someone like myself who, who loved it from my childhood. I think once you watch it, you'll probably want to go back and watch uh, Karate Kid 1, 2, and 3 all over again because it's just so captivating. And I, I really hope you enjoy it, Paul. And just speaking of things which I, I want you to watch, so this year, you know, you know, after I've watched all those Star Trek movies, oh, here I we want go. you to watch Ozark. I want you to watch Cobra Kai. Yeah, yeah. There's something else on the list too. I forget what it is. But, you know, you, you've got to get on those two. I remind listeners that I also watched like 27 uh, Fast and Furious movies as well whilst you're spouting off about Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, look, uh, it was a fantastic season. Um, I'm not going to go on too much about it because I, I just think it's such a fun watch and I've really enjoyed seeing, uh, particularly on Twitter or Instagram, people that have just picked up uh, Cobra Kai and, and started watching it over Christmas. And, and every post that I've seen, people have just been hooked and they've just binged all three seasons. And I just think that's fantastic. What a what a great way to watch this show. And I'm glad that people have so much fun watching it. It's, um, it's a real favourite of mine, I think. Very good. All right. I've also done one other thing. Okay. You know, like – We've had so many podcasts about Tarantino movies and um, our, our top 10 TV shows. I actually made it to the movie theatre, Paul. I went to a real-life movie theatre. I know what you went to see. I went to see Wonder Woman 1984. That's right. I'll tell you, Paul, I know a lot of people love the movie theatre experience, but I don't know, I just feel like every time I go there, there's people talking behind me, there's people like being loud, being annoying. Like it's that experience that makes me really want and appreciate the the at-home watching experience. And I know that, you know, a movie like this is probably meant to be seen on the big screen, but, you know, there's a bit of a balance there for me. But anyway, Wonder Woman 1984. So I actually saw this over the Christmas break on a, a bit of a rainy day. And surprisingly, so this movie came out in New Zealand uh, only in theatres and it came out on Boxing Day. And when I was in the theatre, there would have been maybe 15 people. So it wasn't it wasn't very packed and I, I still had those complaints about people talking and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I am unsure of this movie, Paul. I, I really enjoy Wonder Woman. I... I enjoy the character of Wonder Woman. I really enjoyed the the first movie. I enjoyed the start of this movie. But I, I think I have to agree with a, a bit of the critique that's going on around this movie where it's quite a messy story. It's got too many things going on. Um, it, it just it starts strong. It, like, it's okay. Like, I didn't have a bad time, but it was <sighs> – I'm not, I'm really sort of almost sort of like unsure the direction that they're going with some of these movies. And I know that um, DC's had a bit of a, you know, we're we going down a dark path. We're going down actually a bit more of a bright and colourful path. This movie is kind of quite uh, almost sort of in, in that sort of campy like Batman and Robin type 
um, genre mm-hmm. and not necessarily in a fun way and not really in an earned way. So it often feels a little bit cringy. And I think one of the one of the challenges for me with this movie is you actually don't have Wonder Woman as Wonder Woman for a large part of this movie. There's so many other stories and plot lines going on that it's just a little bit messy. And I, I say this kind of with gritted teeth because I didn't have a terrible time. I just kind of expected a bit more. And I think the the poster, if you if you remember any of the Wonder Woman 1984 posters, like really bright and colorful and fun. Mm. I I didn't walk away from this movie thinking it was bright, colorful and fun. I kind of walked away from it thinking it was a little bit a little bit cringy and a little bit what are you guys doing? And it, it, it kind of made me a little bit nervous actually, but I, it's an okay watch. I, I, I wouldn't rush to the theater to see it personally. No, I, uh, I'm a big fan of, as you are of the, the home experience. It's interesting because in our discord channel, we've got Sador constantly talking about his desire to go to the theaters. We've, we've got Virgil in there who, who also likes to have the, the home experience. And so it, I, I fully relate to, to that part of what you've talked about, first of all. Secondly, uh, this, so even just look, I was just looking at the two, the two story synopsis for, the, for those two Wonder Woman movies. Um, and the first one, when a pilot crashes and tells of conflict in the outside world, Diana, an Amazonian warrior, leaves home to fight a war, discovering her full powers and true destiny. That, that draws you in straight away. The, the description you know, uh, for the second one, says Diana must contend with a work colleague and a businessman whose desire for wealth sends the world down a path of destruction. It's kind of, it, it's not quite got that same feel straight away. I have to admit, I'm expecting a real big 80s experience. And like you said, with the with the poster being real colorful, you know how we both enjoy Star Trek for the voyage home with that massive, you know, that great 80s experience. I'm expecting a bit of that and I'm not hearing that from you. Um, it gets a 5.5 as well out of 10 from over, you know, 125,000 votes, which is very low, isn't it? And I think that's the thing. Like, it does have some some fun 80s fashion and a couple of fun 80s jokes, particularly between um, Chris Pine and um, Gal Gadot. But I think that the rest of it's kind of just, just kind of wasted. Like, this is you know how I, how I I love a good bit of CGI in a movie or a TV show, Paul. There is some really cringy CGI of uh, Wonder Woman flying, of her swinging her lasso around, and it just doesn't work for a, a movie that we have been, you know, waiting for for quite a long time. And this is what worries me with you know this whole this whole um, backlog of movies waiting to come out is you know as time goes on, like you know, are they kind of like loose? <laughs> losing a bit of appeal and quality i think um the other thing i i guess too is you know this movie stars pedro pascal who is uh, a mandalorian so you know and it's it's really interesting you know you know like our our experience with pedro has, has basically been with the helmet on and to see him as a kind of a, a bad guy throughout the whole movie i didn't like it i didn't like it at all i, was I wanted the- to be the mandalorian I was literally going to ask you about um, Pedro and and also uh, Kristen Wiig, who's good value as well. Um, it's disappointing to hear. I, look, I think Kristen Wiig, again, I think 
she was actually a, a great character, but it's a it's a character that she's played in in many movies. And I think one of the one of the things when people say this movie gets messy is there's so the the sort of key um, the key thing in this movie is when it, it's about magic, and whenever any uh, superhero movie deals with magic, it's always like you've got to be really clear about the the, the rules on the. Uh, on the playing field and I think you know so for the the majority of this movie basically everyone can make one wish and you know so for example spoilers but basically hopefully you're not going based on my review anyway you know Wonder Woman's uh, wishing for someone to come back and do her life Kristen Wiig's wishing to be more um more like uh Wonder Woman uh Pedro Pascal wants to be more powerful and so he's always looking for people to sort of um, use this one wish with and then all of a sudden he starts granting people double wishes and it's just like that the the rules of engagement change mm-hmm. and it kind of just it makes it a bit messy but yeah wonder woman i'm you know on a four scale of the guns akimbo I'd, I'd probably give it two okay and is so four four is the scale we're going with for now okay good to know um on this particular one yeah okay is the when you talk about these special effects being dodgy, is that what the rest of the world is going to think? Or is this the Daniel Whiting school of special effects because, you know, you, you've, you've had a go at Rogue One, you've had a go at The Walking Dead. You know, is, is it actually that bad? Or was it meant to look that bad because it's supposed to look like the 80s? Um, no, because I think the the 80s was meant to be in the, I think, the sets and the, the fashion and, and some of the, the things that were going on. I think it just didn't feel, it just didn't feel right. And, I you know, I... I, I did, you know, think that you might ask me this question. So I've done a bit of a hunt around and I and I'm I feel safe that I can sort of put my hand on my heart and say that's it's actually acknowledged by a few other people that the okay. the effects are a little bit questionable at times, which I think is unfortunate because I think Wonder Woman is a is a great character. I think she's one of the 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 greatest DC characters mm. and I would hate to see her sort of move into this category of superheroes, um, which, you know, dare I say it, needs to be rebooted. Mm, very, very interesting. Um, DC have had this criticism before, haven't they, with uh, Henry Cavill and his, you know, the editing out of his moustache, you know, and, and, other, and other such things. Um, so, look, if anything, you've made me want to watch it even more. Um just to just to just to see what we think of it, we we both really enjoyed the first one, which which scores a seven and a half out of ten online. So this one's a five and a half. So yeah, sometimes it's good to go in with the expectations slightly lower, and then I might come out feeling a bit better. Who knows? But um, very interesting. And hey, great to great to be back in a movie theater, even if it wasn't the greatest experience. Just to have have done it because twenty twenty was uh, a year of of no theater going. Indeed, indeed. And one final thing from me, Paul, and this actually isn't a, a TV show or a movie, it's I've actually read a book, believe it or not. Oh, that's so right. who, who even knew that I could read? Um, and so the reason I thought I'd talk about this book is because I think it's got some fantastic um, movie references in it. And so this is a, a New Zealand book that I read, and I guess just for the listeners, I've got so many things to talk about because we've been, we've been doing podcasts on – so many different things. I've just got this back, back catalogue of, of shows. Um, but this book is called um, OA, um, and it's uh, by Becky Manuatu, and it's a it's a New Zealand book. 
and it's basically about it's about these sort of it tells a story from three different three different points of view and particularly there's this uh, young kid who gets separated from his older brother and this young kid and his friend end up like sneaking uh, Django Unchained from from their dad and they and they they watch the movie and they they'd be under ten and they whenever they're playing they're constantly like referring to themselves as Django or Doc or Brilliant. whoever it is and it, it's it's actually a really good story uh, um, I'm going to have to give a shout out to to Becky Mano too on on Twitter because it's it's for a, a, a New Zealand book absolutely loved it really good read um, and it's a it's just a, a fantastic story. Awesome. It's it's great. Who who knew that Daniel Ryan could read? That's good because uh, I've started reading a book as well, but I haven't finished it. So um, it's a great that you've got a book review in there. I see it's very popular online. This how do you put it? Is that OA? Is it okay? Right. OE. OE. Yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah. So yeah, just a bit of a, a change of pace. I know we like to chuck in the old book review every now and again on the old Half Measures podcast. And I love that you've, you know, rather than doing what I do, because you can already guess what I've been reading, right? What sort of book have I been reading, Dan? Uh, probably a Star Wars book. Correct. A hundred percent. Canon Star Wars every time. So it's great that you're doing something a bit different and reading a, a book by a New Zealand author. That's really Half Measures. I applaud you. And that, Paul, is me. Well, there we are. We finally, we've finally got our first one in for the year. What we've been watching, so that feels, that feels, that feels good. And of course, we've watched one other thing uh, that we'll talk about now, and um, that's our movie of the week. Yeah. So each week, well, normally each week, Paul and I take turn choosing a movie. Um, we normally announce that movie in our Discord channel during the week, so that if you want to watch along with us, you can. And then we talk about that movie on the podcast. And this week we are talking about the 2020 movie Underwater. Hmm. So this was your choice, Dan. First one for the year. Interesting. Interesting choice. We've got. Um, We've got Kristen Stewart, we've got Vincent Cassel, we've got TJ Miller, we've got Jessica Hemwick. It's uh, the, the plot for this one, right? So we've got an unknown massive earthquake happens in a drilling station in the bottom of the ocean and a scientific crew must find their way across the ocean floor into another station under the threats of deep pressure, dark water and dangerous deep sea creatures uh, working for this drilling company to try and get to safety um, and many scary surprises ensue. What did you think? It was okay. It was okay. I I picked this one because I've actually heard a few people talk about it, particularly for its effects mm. and some of the, the sound design. And, um, you know, I... I know I say this a lot, but the look, look, look it was good. It was um, it was an interesting premise. I think it reminded me a lot of uh, Alien, the first movie. It reminded me a little bit of The Abyss. I really appreciate with this movie that it really just kicks off within the first five minutes. Like there's no mm. deep sort of scene setting. There's no here's all the characters, like we're just straight into it. And I actually do have to give a shout really to Kristen Stewart because I think she plays a fantastic role as um, Nora Price. I think this most of the cast is quite good. I did find TJ Miller a little bit annoying um, and I've got some <laughs> – I've got some some questions about the um, 
the the giant suits that they wear to um, you know basically like move across the ocean floor. But I think it's a it's an interesting concept. I think it's another one where I actually think this could have been quite a good movie to never actually see the mm. uh, the, the big bad or the the, the monster or the, the thing that they basically disturbed from the, the ocean floor. I think it would have been much better in what's kind of in that sort of Blair Witch type sense that you just kind of know there's this thing there, but you don't know what it is. Oh, look, I I agree with some of the things you've said. I love it when we're in sync and when we're out of sync. Um, so firstly, just on that last point around uh, not revealing the big bad, I think you're absolutely right. I do agree with that. I also watched, I forgot to talk about The Mandalorian, the behind the scenes season two documentary. And one of the things they did, they talked about the episode with the the crate dragon and the guy, I forget his name there, he was saying one of the great things to do is to, is to show as little of that as possible um, and actually not try and show off, because they could with their technology, you know, show it all off. I think the idea is it's scary when you don't see it. I think that's, that you're quite right. Uh, the other thing we're in sync on, I made a note of three movies, and you just mentioned two of them. It reminded me of Ali- Elements of Alien, uh, The Abyss. And the other one I checked in there was Event Horizon. I felt like there was a bit of that going on in there as well. And then the third thing that you mentioned that I wanted to come back to was um, I made a note that I really, really enjoyed uh, TJ Miller from Deadpool. I found there was – and, I'm, I, you know – he was meant to be really annoying and I was cracking up at every joke this guy was making. So I'm not sure what that says about me, but I just found him hilarious. I, I think when I say annoying, I think it was, it was almost kind of like we're in such a, we're in a high stress situation. Everyone is literally fighting for their lives and this guy's just wisecracking every moment. Like I feel like it would kill me. It would kill me if I'm down on the ocean floor and he's just like, you know, chortles and ha ha's and we're trying to like, you know, we're fighting for oxygen. Yeah, exactly right. And spoiler alert for anyone, you know, they should know by now to fast forward if they don't want to hear us. Yeah, when when he finally gets his, uh, <laughs> the way in which he dies was really satisfying when he got pulled through his suit and you just see him get flattened. It was, that was in- incredible. Yeah, I think um, it was interesting with those big suits that they put on. It, it had some fantastic sci-fi elements to it. And there was a couple of moments that made me, um, kind of laugh and I guess question some things. One when um, Kristen Stewart volunteered because she was the smallest to check something out, and I'm mm-hmm. like, "You're wearing your suit. You're all the same size. Like inside the suit, it doesn't matter." And then the other thing would be when um, she's running out of air and their uh, neck rings start flashing red. And I thought, how anxiety-inducing. Do you really oh, need yeah. like your whole helmet lighting up red that you're about to die? Um, but then. Uh, Jessica Henwick like smashing her visor so that she can breathe and I just thought to myself you know what like a scene later she like twists someone's helmet and just pops it off yeah. she could have twisted the helmet because like, there's a pretty high chance you might need that visor again but anyway I would, I would, love, to, I would love for you to have been a character in this movie and just be questioning and pointing things out say excuse me when we're in the suit we're all the same size because I don't think that's true I think the suits were at slightly different sizes um, the, the helmet situation I presume couldn't be twisted otherwise why wouldn't you that was uh, but yeah it was Look, I, I also agree with you when you talked about um, Kristen Stewart because I've not really seen her in much uh, other than the Snow White Huntsman movie and, of course, the, the Twilight Saga. And to be honest, I thought she was um, really good in this as well. I found her very com- convincing. Um, it is a movie that is – it's 
it's very dark on screen as you might expect there's very little light at the bottom of the ocean with the exception of the red lights that are flashing in the helmet when you're you know running out of oxygen um so it's definitely if anyone's interested i would say it's good to watch this one at night with the curtains drawn also have your hot drinks uh at your own risk because if you like some jumpy moments there's plenty of those so again another opportunity for me to really enjoy uh seeing diana jump out of her, her seat always uh good value i know i often say i'm not a, a massive horror fan but again when it crosses that category of sci-fi like we talked about those movies um i often find i really do en- enjoy these types of movies and um yeah. So what what was it about the you said you heard some people talk about sound editing, was it? Or Oh, just I think that the sound design and I think those particularly if you've got a a nice um Dolby sort of surround sound system that apparently like it's it's really good to to watch either a in a theatre, uh, particularly if it's got Dolby Atmos or if at home you've got a good speaker set up because of a um, I, I've just got a sound bar, so it just sounded pretty normal to me. But mm. I, I, I've heard it's um, it's it's quite praised for some of their sound design. Yeah, look, I I'm not sitting here giving it all the praise in the world, but there, I did, and, and I'm certainly not labelling it a B movie because that's not fair either. But there was, it's a slightly, uh, it's not it's not top tier movie, but it's it look, it's a great Saturday night watch. That I thought some of that supporting cast are really good. Um, uh, John Gallagher Jr. Uh, was really good. He was one of the he was one of the main guys from Modern Love, actually. So he's one of the guys in one of those love letters, and he was great. Jessica Henwick, who you mentioned, we've seen her in uh, Marvel's Iron Fist. We saw her in Star Wars: Force Awakens, and I think she's really good. So yeah, and I, like I said, I really enjoyed T.J. Miller too. So I, there was a lot about this I really enjoyed um, for a movie that when I first saw, it, I thought, I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy this, but let's give it a go. So that was that was great that you suggested it. Yeah, look, I think it was something different, and I think the thing that I appreciate the most about it is it was only actually an hour and a half long, and I actually quite enjoy when a um, when a movie actually yeah an hour and a half yeah when a movie is like it wasn't so long that it felt like it was taxing. Like I, I actually had a great time watching it, as you mentioned earlier. I enjoyed seeing Kristen Stewart in something different. I think there's some great homages to Sigourney Weaver um, and Alien and the way that they kind of uh, portray her character. I think it's definitely worth a watch, but I agree with you that it's 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 not necessarily top tier or um, the number one movie you need to rush out and see, but I think if it's on a, a streaming platform around you and you're looking for something to watch with a, a little bit of a darker edge, I think this is one to definitely check out. Here in New Zealand, you can check that out on Neon. So, um, yeah, look, I think it's a, it's a good movie. Great stuff. So we dive into our first newsroom of 2021, Dan. All right, all right. Now, this first one, Paul, you're probably all over this as a um, librarian of the the Star Wars universe. Mm. But there's been some renaming of the the um, I guess this the Star Wars timeline. Um, are you all over this, Paul, or is this news to you? Are we? Is this like an April Fool's podcast or what? Because I, you should not be doing this to me live on air. I expect like, a <laughs> message at least an hour before. Help! Tell me what is going on before I. Okay. okay, I'm going to read out the timeline. And all of this has come about because of the, the new High Republic content. So if we were to look at a, a linear timeline, so the first one being the High Republic, the second category is the fall of the Jedi. And so that covers the Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, the Clone Wars, and Revenge of the Sith. 
Next on our timeline is Reign of the Empire, which is the Bad Batch, and then Solo, a Star Wars story. Then we jump forward a little bit on our timeline with the Age of Rebellion, and that stars Rebels, Rogue One, A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Then after that, we've got The New Republic, which is basically The Mandalorian, and then we jump forward one more category to Rise of the First Order, which is Resistance, The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and The Rise of Skywalker. And so what they've tried to do here, I guess, is try to give um, category names to make it a bit easier for, I guess, anyone jumping into the Star Wars universe to understand where these things sit within a timeline. Um, I think it's it's probably ultimately quite good. I feel like it's going to take me a little while to learn these new heading titles, but they they generally make sense, I guess. Very interesting. I just quickly stood up and went and had a look at my canon Marvel Star Wars comics just to see because those some of those have been divided up into uh, ages. So we've got Age Age of the Republic, Age of Rebellion, uh, Age of Resistance, and um, so that's. Uh, that's interesting that they've redone it. Look, it does make sense. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, I guess. But uh, I I am going to go away and read up on this because I am fascinated by how they, the nomenclature of those types of things really fascinates me. Well, I think it's also going to help with the new Disney Plus TV show, The Acolyte, which is going to come under the High Republic era, I believe. So mm-hmm. I think it's good. I think, you know, you and I have had many a conversation with people to try and explain to them what order you might want to watch Star Wars content or where these different movies fit in. And I think having a, a simple-ish timeline for them to understand, I think it's quite useful. So as long as this does become canon and does become um, – Law, L-O-R-E, then that would be great. Or yeah. L-A-W, whatever you prefer. I know we've talked about it before, but the, the Acolyte is this is one of those Star Wars series which is really, really appealing with the you know the final days of the High Republic. That's that's fascinating because we just have never gone there before. So that in itself is unique. Great stuff. I'm actually going to read that book. I think next while we're talking about the High Republic, it's on my my reading list. So the new release, be the High Republic books I've just started. I haven't even purchased those. I own all the books apart from that, so that's immediately interested me. So I can't wait to hear your review. I'm going to hold you to that. Good, good. All right, next bit of news. So um, while we're talking about Disney+, Plus, so you may – I'm not sure if we mentioned it when we talked about our – um, all of our new Disney Plus content. Uh, we, we may have skipped it because we particularly talked about Marvel and Star Wars, but there's actually a Willow um, reboot. So if you remember the, mm. the movie Willow. And John M. True was actually set to direct Willow, and he's just announced um, in the last few days that he's actually going to have to step aside from that project just because of he's just had a new baby and uh, coronavirus sort of restrictions um, are going to mean he can't travel uh, to direct it. I imagine that's pretty heartbreaking, being all, all set up to yeah. uh, direct a, you know, a, a reboot with something, you know, it's a pretty exciting universe, the Willow universe. And, you know, often when we hear about uh, directors stepping aside, it's often, you know, normally due to some sort of horrible reason, like not getting on with the cast, yeah, yeah. not having a view with the production company. Um, but this is just, uh, you know, the, the universe not enabling it to happen. So it'll be interesting to see what Disney Plus do um, in terms of sourcing a new director. Yeah, that's it's really heartbreaking. I can't imagine what that must feel like. I feel this may be a bit inappropriate stroke controversial. I don't know, but I, I just feel like there's got to be a way around it. I, I don't know. People are traveling different places and I just, 
I don't know. I just feel like where there's a will, there's a way. You know, we, you and I have both been on the road over the last couple of weeks for New Year's, and I saw heaps of tourists all over the place. And I just feel like I, you know, from Europe, from North America, I don't know. I'll, I'll get off my, I'll, I'll stop that line of thought. But that's just how I felt because I just feel real sorry for them. Yeah, no, it's a bit of a shame. On to other news. So uh, No Time to Die, a movie that Paul and I are pretty excited to watch. There is a rumour that it is going to be delayed once more. So this was a movie that was meant to come out in April uh, 2020, I believe. Uh, Then it shifted to November 2020, Mm -hmm. and then it moved to April 2021, which is currently scheduled for. And it's now been rumoured that it's going to be moved to a full release. And so a full release in America would mean September 2021. (laughs) Honestly, we, there's a solution. Let's bring it out online. I think that the people are so – I think the world would be so crying out for a blockbuster movie that people who may not ordinarily have gone to the cinema to see a James Bond movie might actually say, do you know what, let's get this movie. I feel like it could be a real success. I'm just – I can't bear the thought of what you just said to me, Dan. I just can't imagine having, you know, starred in a movie – probably two or three years ago, you know, the time it went into post-production and it's still not been out. Like it's so crazy. And there's so many movies sitting in that backlog that are like that. So here's hoping that doesn't happen, but um, it looks like a few different sources are talking about it. So let's wait and see. Uh, Two final bits of news for you, Paul. So what do you think was the most streamed TV show of 2020? Well, I know the Queen's Gambit was right up there because of the all the hype it got, but I don't believe that'll probably. Oh, blimey, that's an interesting. I'll go with the Mandalorian because I just feel like it's had so much hype, but I, I'm probably wrong. What is it? It's the Office, the US Office. <laughs> and how many minutes do you think of the US Office? Do you think was um, was streamed last year? Oh, that's going to be way up there. You think this is the US office, 10 seasons. I mean, that's I, I, oh, uh, 10, 60, 600. Uh, oh, I don't know when you're going to, because you want to times it by the number of viewers. I couldn't even guess. 57 billion minutes the office was watched last year, which is that is a lot crazy. That is a lot of Michael Scott. A lot of you can never have too much Michael Scott. And look, I'm getting I'm getting office itchy. <laughs> and you know, all of this talk about, you know, particularly in America, how the office has been taken off Netflix and put onto Peacock. But here in New Zealand, where the sun is currently shining, we've just got the office on Netflix now. So look, that's another great palate cleanser. And you know, I could be in for my fourth or fifth watch of this show. I, Absolutely love it. I know we shouldn't talk about our personal lives too much on this podcast, Dan, but for those listeners who don't already know, Dan has been to support groups to help him with his office addiction. And I know that, you know, you get a little coin. So saying, you know, it's been, it's been one year since you last watched the office and are you really, you're going to dive back in for the fifth time into this show, right? That's what she said. (laughs) See, you're all ready for it. You're all ready for it. Incredible. (laughs) 
Uh, it's good. It's it's a show like anyway. I could watch it anytime. Um, and just a final, I guess a, a a reminder if you are listening to the podcast on Friday when it drops, that uh, WandaVision will be starting on Disney Plus. So this is, I believe, they are doing nine episodes. Yep, nine episodes of WandaVision. I've heard it's going to be a little bit different from what people may be expecting, but I, for one, am really looking forward to this. And this kind of kicks off our our next tranche of MCU um, TV shows and movies, and I'm pretty excited. Mm, A lot of hype around that all over the place, all over Twitter, Instagram, everywhere I've been looking, I've been seeing that. So I have no doubt that's going to be a success, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I believe the first three episodes have been released to critics. I'm not quite sure where our pass for that got lost in the mail, but um, Mm. it is going to be a little bit different. So I think people are going to have to kind of stick with this one. It's not going to be jumping into an Avengers endgame level of action. It is kind of based um, on a a slightly different sort of notion, but I think it's still going to be fun. And I've got full confidence in everything they're doing in that MCU universe. So it should be fun, but that is all the news I have for you today, Paul. I can add a couple of other things in there. Firstly, the thing that excited me the most was that DC announced they're going to have two different Batman universes running simultaneously. So we've got our one with with Robert Pattinson, as we've seen in the Batman trailer that we're really excited about, and the other one, amazingly, with the returning Michael Keaton. For me, the greatest Batman from my favourite movie, the nine eighty nine Batman original. I can't wait to see this. I'm I'm excited about both, but Keaton as an older Batman, that is just the sort of thing that I just never thought would get made. You know, last week I was talking about Picard. I never thought I'd see an, an older Picard. I never thought I'd see an older. And we're talking, we're talking. What are we talking? Nine eighty nine. So my math is terrible, but like thirty thirty plus years, it's incredible. Uh, that 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 news really shocked me. Do you know who else would make a great older Batman while we're talking about it? It's someone like Brian Cranston. Like, you know, like a you know, like a real sort of like I've retired Batman, but I'm I'm formerly a badass and I'm I'm now teaching someone. Jesse! Jesse! I could just imagine him as an older, yeah, that would be great. Um uh there's a new movie coming out next month that looks pretty good, uh, based on the trailer um that someone posted in our Discord community. I think it was Michael uh, yeah, starring Bob Odenkirk, nobody. Uh, and yeah, we talked about Brian Cranston playing a role other than Walter White. Well, Bob Odenkirk playing a role, he he looks very much different to Saul Goodman from Better Call Saul. He looks very a million miles away from any character I've ever seen him perform before, based on this trailer. So I'm very excited about about that. That's straight onto the onto the watch list. Um, also, the rumor mill. So I'll be quick because it may just be a rumor. Is that Robert Downey Jr. is in talks with Lucasfilm to play a role in a future Star Wars project, which is exciting. Although there are further rumors upon rumors that that role might be Grand Admiral Thrawn, and so that for me, whilst it may well be good, but it has the element of already being disappointing simply because. If it's true, Thrawn's voice for me was so brilliantly done in Rebels by Lars Mikkelsen that I can see no no reason whatsoever why they shouldn't just cast him in the role of Grand Admiral Thrawn, if they are, which it seems likely they're going to bring him in since they mentioned him in season two of The Mandalorian. You know, just like they did with, with Katie Sackhoff coming in as Bo-Katan, I feel like they could do that with Lars Mikkelsen. But anyway, it's just a rumor within a rumor, so I guess I'll, I'll leave it there. But I thought it was interesting. It could be a whole lot of rubbish, eh? Yeah, I think it's a he would be an interesting choice for that role. Um 
I, I just can't help but think of him being a little bit um, cheeky and with a bit of banter like he is with his, his Iron Man uh, persona. Mm. And I would hate to see that in Thrawn. Oh. Thrawn, I think, commands so much respect and has so much power that, yeah. that there's no time for for humour in that role. Correct. Abs- and I, Look, I feel like we've talked about Dave and Dave and John running the show. They know what they're doing. I'm sure they wouldn't allow that to happen. But anyway, let's, let's leave it there because it's a rumour. My final thing here is that the original cast of Sex and the City are coming back. So Sarah Jessica Parker, Cynthia Nixon, Kristen Davis are going to star in a Sex and the City revival uh, called And Just Like That. And they're all back with the exception of Kim Cattrall, who said she'd never do it again. I never watched this show, if I'm honest, but I know it was massive back in the day. And um, I'm sure there's going to be a whole generation of fans who enjoyed the original who will probably get a a laugh out of watching these guys come back together because you know that seems to be the in fashion thing to do these days is everyone get back together so uh yeah interesting yeah look i'm, I'm with you paul i have you know i've maybe seen the odd episode here and there but in general not not really on my radar but i think it is it seems to be the thing to do at the moment isn't it let's get the band back together correct shall i jump into our mailbag then yeah, why not? Because we haven't had one for the last two podcasts, so I'm just going to give some highlights from the last couple of weeks. I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, 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 and the flames went higher. If you're wondering if I've gone insane, let me tell you, I've now got a complete sweat on because I've never sung anywhere, literally. I chose to sing that song because I quit, quite literally burned myself and I fell into the fire that I myself lit. And so the reason I just broke into song is because our producer, Samara King, noted, as any good producer should, that in Half Measures podcast episode 43, I said on air that if it turns out that Grogu, his call to a Jedi, if it turns out that that Jedi would be Luke Skywalker, that I would sing on this podcast and I am just kicking myself because I always do this. I always, I remember walking through Auckland at four o'clock in the morning in 2001, going to watch a live football game. And I went, I walked past this, like a bungee catapult that's in Auckland. And I said, if England beat Germany, I'll go on that because England never beat Germany. And what happened? England beat Germany 5-1 and I went on the catapult. So, so I, I figured like anytime I say something like, oh, if this happens, I'll do that. It's quite likely to happen. So I should, maybe I should start you know, wishing for a few different things. But um, it's good to know that the producer's listening. I, I feel horrific. I have no idea what that sounds like. Dan, if this sounds terrible, we're editing the whole thing out and I'll pay Samara off with some sort of cash, you know, settlement. But um, but yeah, so that was the first thing I found in the mailbag was a note from the producer saying, you better be singing next episode or you're in trouble. So um, so thanks for that. I think what's um, – that, that was incredible, Paul, to start with. Yeah. I think what – the the listeners are missing is your hand movements that went along with that singing, okay. and you you really got you really got into role. Like there was hands sort of waving, there was like a pushing down of the voice. It was amazing, it was beautiful. Uh, mainly, my hand was making so that I sure I couldn't see you because that would have just I couldn't. And there's no way there's going to be a second take on that. Anyway, let's get into the other stuff, which was made more exciting. Look, the thing that excited me most in the mailbag. This is a real personal one for me. Um, we had the actor uh, John Ashton who plays Sergeant uh, Taggart from the Beverly Hills Cop movie, which was our, our movie of the week for Christmas Day. Not only did he share our post to his personal Instagram page, but he also started following us as well. And honestly, 
Taggart has been like a, a favorite movie character for me for like 30 years. So I just found that absolutely um, amazing, to be honest. Um, what else have we got? Um, so the Queen's Gambit review, um, had, we had quite a few of the cast comment and share a review, which was great. Uh, Christine Seidel, who played um, Helen Deardoff, that strict director in charge of the home for girls. Uh, we had Matthew Lewis, who was one of the two twins, uh, who were the registration officials. And we also had our review got a retweet from the official Netflix account, which was which was pretty awesome. And so, yeah, so look, thanks again to Sador, because he was the one who put it on my radar in the, in the Discord channel. So that was great. Uh, peak performance. The last one we did was Jason Statham. So we had Paddy from Time Traveling Tink Podcast. He gave us his 321 Italian job, Spy and Snatch. Uh, Ricardo from the Manawa 2 here in New Zealand went with Crank, a movie I will always regret watching with my parents. And Ryan from San Francisco went with The Mechanic 1 and 2 for his pick. And then finally, uh, the the ranking of the, the Quentin Tar- Tarantino movies that we had on that podcast, we had some people come in and give us their full ranking order, which was, which was really great. It would it would just take too long to read everyone's out, but I'll give you the number one. So uh, Ryan from San Fran again, he went with Reservoir Dogs, as too did Michael from North Carolina. Uh, Inglorious Bastards was the number one pick for for Davros Dave, whilst Paddy, he agreed with, with you and I, and he went with Pulp Fiction for his number one. And um, yeah, we also had that ranking podcast shared on social media by two actresses that actually appeared in Tarantino movies. Uh, we had Laura Kayot, who played the sister of Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, she retweeted us on Twitter, and now she's also added us as a friend and started following us. Um, she's also followed by Samuel Jackson and Leonardo DiCaprio. So there is a percentage chance that when she retweeted us that both Samuel Jackson and Leonardo DiCaprio would have seen our review and presumably they've listened. So we're pretty much best friends with them now, Dan. And then the final one, the other actress who um, shared our review was New Zealand's very own Zoe Bell, um, who, of course, Tarantino's cast in many movies, Death Proof, Django, The Hateful Eight, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And, of course, she was Uma Thurman's stunt double in both the Kill Bill movies. So thank you, Zoe. I thought that was pretty cool. That is the mailbag, Dan. Awesome. Awesome. That's a, a lot of news. Some great shout-outs there. Um, good stuff. It must be time for our – what are we up to, Paul? We must be up to our peak performance. Yes. So uh, each week we choose someone who we look back on their career and choose a 3-2-1 for them. And it was my turn this week, and I went with – I thought, if you're going to start the new year, start off with a bang, let's go big. I went with Tom Cruise. What was your what was your peak performance for Tom Cruise then? Well, look, um, a lot of movies to choose from for uh, Mr. Cruise. I know that he is both loved and loathed by many. Mm. I personally really enjoy Tom Cruise. I enjoy him for what he is. Um, generally, um, I think he's he's got a few sort of um, movies which I don't think he was quite right for, um, but in general. I, look, I think he's a he's a good guy. He's got, he's got some good stuff. I think the movie I was referencing before, which I don't think he was right for, was Jack Reacher. And if you've read any of those books, Tom Cruise just isn't Jack Reacher. But anyway, that aside, my three, two, one for my number three, I'm actually going to go with. He actually had quite a, a minor role in this movie, but 2008's Tropic Thunder. 
And so this is where Tom Cruise kind of cameos as Les Grossman. And he's the uh, movie producer and uh, he's just such a, a fantastic it's a fantastic cameo. I loved everything about the way uh, they portrayed him. When I think Tom Cruise, I think Les Grossman. And I I just can't give a, a shout out to Tom Cruise without bringing this up. Awesome. I love that. Uh, number two for me is a classic. This is the 1996 movie, Jerry Maguire. So everyone knows Jerry Maguire, show me the money. Um, I think this is sort of one of those um, classic uh, Tom Cruise roles. I think he often does really well in these sort of comedy romance type movies. Um, I think he, he plays a really heartfelt character in here. There's some, some other great actors in this movie, Renee Zellweger, Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, Kelly Preston. But but I think, you know, Tom Cruise's role really stands out as Jerry Maguire. And it's, it's just a, a heartfelt, good time movie. But my number one, and this is the number one I've brought up many times on the pod, is going to have to be Top Gun. So I'm so pumped for Top Gun 2. Top Gun 1 is still a top-tier movie for me to this day. I, you know, I probably don't need to go on about it too much because I've talked about it a lot on the pod, but I just think the the real-life filming uh, inside those fighter jets has made it stand the test of time. And, you know, Tom Cruise will always be Maverick, and that movie's always going to have a killer soundtrack, and he's always going to be badass. And I love it. So 3 to one for me. Tropic Thunder, Jerry Maguire, and Top Gun. Great choice. How about you, Paul? There's some real, real good choices, and you're so right. Maverick is going to be a great movie to to see. I think um, we're a little bit in sync, but not entirely. We're so my number three. I went with Minority Report. Um, I love that movie. I, f- I feel like it was kind of groundbreaking at the time, and it's possibly. I don't know. It feels like it possibly one of Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise's most overlooked movies. I love this. I love the whole plot of cops being able to arrest people for for murders before they've even committed the crime. I love that that plot, and and I felt like Cruise was great in it, and it, and he defined kind of like the Matrix did a new type of technology interaction that, whilst now it may not feel or seem as impressive, but at the time it was really, really cutting edge. And I felt like that was really, really well done. So I enjoyed that. Uh, the My number two, where we are in sync, and it's, it's shocking to think that we're in sync on this one. I also went with the cameo role in Tropic Thunder as Les Grossman. I, I've made a note here saying, I think it's the funniest cameo role by anyone ever in terms of who would normally be serious. Uh, and so I would love to hear anyone write in about other funny cameos because I just it it is so famous, and I was thinking back to whenever he does interviews, like he was on Graham Norton, and it came up there, and he had to get up and do the dance. And I think if you Google Tom Cruise interview Les Grossman, you'll see the number of times he gets asked to get up and try and bust those moves out, and it's just it is absolutely iconic. Um, in the middle of a, a an already pretty funny movie, I thought it was like you just incredible. Uh, but my number one is actually him as Ethan Hunt in the Mission Impossible franchise. I love this character. I love this series. It's an incredible set of movies. The, the, this role cements itself in this list because I find that his role in this series is one where, generally speaking, each movie is better or at least as good as the one before. With the exception of the second movie, I feel like this series just keeps getting better and better. And that is really, really rare. And Tom Cruise really puts himself 
in the danger zone, if you forgive me, uh, in these movies with the you know these really crazy stunts he does, and sometimes that goes too far, like we saw with the the leg break on the most recent one. But you know, he's I was just looking, he's turning sixty next year, which seems absolutely impossible, doesn't it? But um, he's still putting himself into all these these crazy crazy roles, and um, yeah, amazing. So that's me. I, th- I think this is the thing with Tom Cruise, right? Like he he's awesome as an action hero, and he's like you know you can't fault him as Ethan Hunt. Like those those are those are top tier movies. And then when he does stuff like Jack Reacher, it's just kind of like when there's such a big uh, lot of content and in, in the books behind it, and it's just so different to what I imagine. It's it's a shame because you know for a dare I say it a, a little guy he, he kicks ass so so much. Yeah, no, he's uh, I'm I'm definitely you mentioned at the top. You fall into two camps. I'm definitely Camp Cruise. He's he's great. Indeed. Well, Paul, um, that probably just about brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. It does indeed. So thank you once again to Sergeant Taggart from Beverly Hills Cop for following our podcast online. And thank you to Roddenberry.com for bringing this episode to you this week. And also a special shout out to our Patreon producers, Trisha Brady, Samara King, and Samuel Jackson. We appreciate uh, everything you do for the show. Indeed, especially Samara when she's paying attention. That's really good. Indeed. Please never do that Indeed. again. <laughs> Until next week, everyone. Adios.